Welcome to today's podcast with Nigel Walsh as part of our Industry Influencers podcast series. Nigel, I'm so pleased to have you join us this time for the podcast. And what I'd really like to do is, is to give a little bit of background about yourself and what you're doing with insurers around innovation first. So, Nigel, introduce yourself. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Nigel Walsh, I'm a partner at Deloitte, and I focus very much on disruptive technologies in insurance, which invariably means all the cool, exciting, super sexy stuff around InsureTech. So, that's kind of what the day job is. And in terms of, I guess, what I'm doing around insurance is I'm helping both the carrier and broker side try and find the right partners and matches in the InsureTech world. I'm basically a giant dating agency, is how it feels like sometimes. Yeah, am I allowed to say that? Oh, absolutely. I think that's a great, it's a great way to kind of uh, talk about it. Match.com for insuring techs. There we go. You had a hippo. I like that. So, Nigel, we've gotten to know each other um, fairly good over the last four years as both of us being um, honored to be part of the top 50 insure tech influencers. And that community, we've really kind of collated around ideas and topics and kind of share views on, on lots of different things. But, you know, as I look back over the last four to five years when InsureTech kind of came um, into its own prominence, it's really impacted the industry in a lot of different ways and it's evolved um, over that period of time. What do you see as the changes over the last four to five years and what parallels are you seeing for insurance has been experienced by other industries and that we should take heed at? I mean, that's, that's the million dollar question in, in that there are so many different facets and I don't think there's any single one answer that would address the industry as a whole. So I typically break it down by segment, country, line of business. Let's take the easy one, right? The easy one's retail insurance. And again, this differs country by country where uh, in North America, obviously it's very um, driven by agents and, uh, brokers, whereas in the UK, for example, it's a very mature direct-to-customer market via price comparison websites or D2C sites online. Retail, for me, is following everything else uh, and every other industry where you can just serve yourself quite happily and have no need for humans whatsoever. So self-service. We've seen lots of them opening up in North America as well now, actually. More recently, obviously, the most famous of all probably being the Troves and Lemonades and that sort of good stuff that are out yep. there. But where you can get some stuff together, where the product is, dare I say, commodity or well understood, you don't necessarily need to have an agent in play to help you understand it if you know what you're buying in the first place, which actually pops out a different issue of how much do people understand what they're buying in the first instance, whether it's a renter's policy commercial property, specialty products or, or, or elsewhere. And I think the more complicated you get, the more experience and insight you need from a broker, agent, risk manager, or, or some other intermediary in the middle. But where it's commodity, where it's gadget, travel, home, renter, um, it should be simple enough to buy and consume yourself. And I think we've seen that in yeah. lots of places. When you kind of think about that, Nigel, you know, we've, in many ways, to your point, particularly in the UK, you guys have been well ahead of other mature markets as it relates to really uh, that self-service from a retail market perspective. And there's a lot of lessons learned, I think, you, you can have there relative to that. What would you kind of give us some lessons learned, you know, as we begin to think about further digitizing and making that self-service, you know, into other markets, you know, for that, for those retail needs? Yeah, I mean, lessons learned is an interesting one. I mean, aggregators as such in the UK have been around for about 20 years. 
And we have to ask ourselves, are they additive to the industry or uh, decretive to the industry? Now, I think when you look at that, you have to put yourself in the, in the eyes of a consumer and the eyes of an insurance organization. In the consumer world, I remember being a, a young man many, many moons ago, or maybe not too many moons ago, <laughs> where you'd sit there with the yellow pages, yellow pages gone and dusted, right? Or now it's all digitized, but yellow pages, and you'd phone the insurance uh, company advert by advert, working out, giving them your details, and working out what you could get or not get from that individual insurer. Here we are X number of years later where we just punch that information into a system and it goes and does the searches for you. So I'm now both digitizing and speeding up the entire process of getting a quote. And to be fair, that's true across most lines of business. I can do that in motor, home, renters, small commercial, uh, and many others quite easily. So you can definitely say it's better for the customer. What you can't get though, if I put my mind on what it is as an insurance organization, you can't get the, well, actually my wording is different to their wording and the terms are different here to this one. So are you always comparing like for like? And I think that's a difficult conversation mm. to have or uh, a difficult conversation for many consumers to appreciate because I think even in the US recently, someone came out and said, hey, product X from carrier Y is a different product on the comparison site than it is if you went to them directly. And of course, you might scale yeah. things out to be able to compete based on price, based on or, or versus risk or uh, completeness there, for example. Yeah, and I think that gets to one of those challenges we have is because we often live in a multi-channel world and the customer is going to choose how they want to maybe start to evaluate an insurance through a quote on one channel and then they move to another because they might have a question, whether it's to an agent, broker, or even calling into the insurance company, et cetera. One of the challenges I think that we have is that the customers are actually getting smart and they're going to find out those differences. And how do you kind of create that consistency, you know, with regard to the products that you're offering out there and allowing that multi-channel world, not just a single channel and you price it only for that channel, but really recognizing that we have to engage customers. And I think that's where this whole concept of a digital experience really comes into play and is much bigger than maybe just um, any one channel or, or just a portal, so to speak. Would you agree with that, Nigel? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the engaging customers is really interesting because do we really want to engage customers and do customers, so we as an insurance organization will keep talking about how we engage them better. Find me someone on this planet that says, I want to talk to my insurance company loads more. I'm challenging, challenging my inner Scott Galloway here. But there's generally uh -huh. very few people that I would say jump out of bed in the morning and go, I love to speak to my insurance company. So this is when I go back to my, how do we find the things that people fall in love with? I.e. the value-added services around the edge. It might be my house has got an alarm, my pipe is leaking, my security uh -huh. system's gone off, my car is broken, my engine on my aircraft needs servicing. There's something going wrong somewhere. They're the things that we want. We want insurance embedded into the overall experience. We don't necessarily want to engage in the insurance company piece itself because I guess ideally that relationship should just not exist at all. So engagement needs to be defined as to what bit adds value to the customer and makes it going, this organization that just happened to sell insurance to me are invaluable because they've kept my plane in the air, they've kept me through health and safety, they've made sure my buildings are 
aren't getting ill or I can stay on the road with the right regulation. And those things are critical. I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, you know, in our research that we've done with consumers and SMBs, those value-added services are what I call the low-hanging fruit because that's what people are really looking for to add to the risk product so that they can reduce the risk, they can have some things that are going to make their lives easier or protect their assets better. And those are the things that we've got to kind of step back and think, how do we kind of redefine that product, not just from a risk standpoint, but the services that um, provide real value to the customer and added value that differentiates them in the marketplace. If you go back to, uh, back to your point about the, the top 50, I'm constantly writing about how you create loyalty both in insurance and you've seen my piece on cake i talk about yeah we have all the ingredients but we just want cake none of us walk into starbucks and say give me 100 grams of flour three eggs and a blueberry we walk in and say give me a blueberry muffin when we sell insurance we're off it feels to me in many cases we're making the ins- we're making the client buy the ingredients and bake it themselves so how can we get this whole thing oven ready so that they're actually buying it in a form they can consume in a better way rather than the individual yep. components? Now, that's not true for everyone, right? Someone might go, we're experts in this ourselves. We just want to buy the components and piece them together because that's our magic. But there are many, many places where that's just not a requirement. I totally agree. Might be a reason why some of these insure tech startups are have food names so often. Do you think they'll survive that <laughs> or, or will they start to go off? I think that it's, uh, in many cases, too early to tell. I do think that they're constantly involving, they're leveraging some of these emerging technologies. They have the luxury of, of starting from scratch and building kind of a, a different kind of insurance company from the standpoint of how they process, the workflows, all of the things that they're doing, what technologies they're using, artificial intelligence, machine learning, whatever it may be. And so they have a, they're at an advantage for that. I do think that they are really gaining a lot of insights because they're capturing lots of data. They're applying that data into different kinds of artificial intelligent machine learning algorithms to better fine-tune those processes and to better fine-tune them for operational efficiencies, but also for profitability, underwriting profitability, but it could also be for understanding the customer better to be able to bring something to market. I think that's the kind of interesting piece that I think they bring to the table because we haven't necessarily in and mature insurance companies always taking it from that perspective because we're just kind of putting that product out there and then we just continue to serve with that product. We don't necessarily kind of um, try to gain the insights into that to the extent that I, some of these new models are kind of doing. So I think it's too early to tell how successful they're going to be, but I think that they are gaining a lot of interesting data and some insights that are going to be potentially very powerful for differentiating on the market. No different than how Google's done it, no different than how Amazon's done it, no different than how Tesla's doing it with their data. You know, it's, it's, to me, it gets down to the data and how you're looking at it. Would you agree with that, Nigel? To, to some extent, my, my caveat is all these things, that, all these guys are doing wonderful things, and I generally, I'm super passionate about it. Are they, are they at a scale that the bigger, more existing folks actually start to worry about or not or will they ever get to that point yeah now you've seen obviously acquisitions by the likes of uh, or, or yep. cover wallet or whoever else so they are starting to yeah, and yep. pay attention we've seen the folks like Revolut get to seven uh, seven million customers now or or slightly more so people are starting to go they are getting to a point where they make a difference or starting to make a material impact in our business we're looking at some of the neobanks in the UK, some of these new challenger banks. And 
a challenger bank, I believe, is now number five in terms of the biggest banks in the UK. That's a very big statement wow. when you go, this industry is hundreds of years old, and we've got a new bank that's been born in the last five or so years, now at position number five. That's quite, yep. I mean, the, the big four are huge, right? And the differences between that spot might be quite material, but it's quite a statement as well. Yeah, it is. And I, I think that I go back to obviously different uh, periods of time and there were different technologies during those periods of time. I remember back when Progressive first started and, you know, they were kind of putting uh, their brand on this whole concept of brown claims. And they had those vehicles driving all over, you know, the countryside, you know, um, handling claims. I think what's interesting is that at that time, I, went, I remember very vividly because I was part of a court at the time. People were, you know, they, they were that upstart. Oh, you know, they were kind of quirky, not sure that they're really going to be that, that powerful of a competitor. Within a 10-year period of time, they became a pretty powerful competitor and, and have remained a pretty powerful competitor out there in the marketplace. So I think that in that case, they kept evolving their business and they kept evolving what technologies that they're using. And they kept, um, you know, looking at how they were going to do things differently. I think that's the key. I think too often we just kind of say, oh, we're going to do this, and we just kind of go ahead and do it, and we don't always kind of keep evolving as the marketplace evolves. And I think that's one of the, the factors, I think, that will define future success versus, versus not. And What, um, what you know, you're calling out, big... though, what you're calling out is agility, nothing more. Yes. Their ability to change is what's exciting, not the fact that they've done it. Because if you... All organizations can change. We're working with a 300-year-old insurer right now that is making some really cool changes. Could a startup do yep. it quicker? Probably. Do they have the same level of access and distribution that these guys have? Absolutely not. So it's just nope. getting that balance correct. And I think that's where we see, you know, and I'd like your, your perspective on this. I think we're starting to see some of these traditional mature insurers that do have scale that they are trying to become much more agile. They're trying to do a, um, a lot more from an innovation standpoint that some things may succeed, some things may not, and they're, they're, they're okay with that. And they're really kind of saying, we want to remain those leaders in the future and not allow some of these upstarts to kind of take over. But there's too many of them that are just followers or they're kind of falling way behind that aren't taking it as seriously and are not investing in those types of things. And I, I think that's where this whole concept of agility, but it's also about leadership and it's also about how are you trying to innovate and really kind of apply some of those emerging technologies or different approaches and different models, et cetera. You either work customer in or you work company out or end up in a hybrid of two somehow. If you work products out and I, and I fear for people that still focus on lines of business or whatever else because they're just missing the customer all these things or you yep. work to customer in th there's pros and cons to each one depending on your maturity now all the new guys for me have started customer in therefore they've appeared to be more relevant at the outset and um it's a, it's a nice place to be but equally the key then is yep. as i said says earlier is that's all well and good how do you get to that point and actually get scalable at the same time let me kind of switch a little bit here and, and let's talk about all of these exciting new technologies um, that you talked about at the beginning that you're really spending a lot of time on. What areas technology are you really seeing some real potential there and some real impact 
both um, from an operational standpoint to be able to um, drive that optimization and scale, but also on the other side to really kind of innovate and kind of bring new products to market or create a different kind of engagement experience or to do a lot of different things. Kind of give both perspectives, Nigel. So, so I'm a technology guy at heart. So this is kind of my sweet spot and I might end up talking for far too long. So I'm going to try and keep it brief. My background is all in core system technology transformation. And what that means is we get called in to do claims, policy, billing, add all the things on the front end, whether it's customer marketing or CRM or engagement or whatever it might be. All those are critical in terms of capabilities in bringing these uh, new propositions to market. But as a technology guy, it's almost or often the furthest away from my ambitions when I speak to clients. When I, when I go out there, when I work with some of these insured techs and existing carriers, I often talk about product speed to market and not technology. And what I mean by that is mm-hmm. how do we address the business issue? Because the technology is just table stakes. Ultimately, we'll find there's, there's enough things out there that can help us uh, launch things in, in no, no, no order of time at all. We've just done one for a very large carrier where in 14 weeks we've taken a combined life, health, GI, sorry, PNC, digital GP product up and running in the market in 14 weeks. That is absolutely outstanding and a testament to the culture, not necessarily just the technology, because you can't have one without the other. Turning on the latest and greatest whizzy bang technology gets you nowhere. We've got to bring it together with people and culture at the same time. So, so for me, I still focus a lot on this core speed or core product speed to market area, which I'm super excited by. And there's a whole host of players in that space. I think I counted last time 60 to 100 different vendors all playing around in that area of how do we get you a new product in the market really, really quickly. The other one that never ceases to amaze me, and I'm again lucky enough to have a chapter in the upcoming AI book, is AI. And I always joke, I mean, to me, Digital five years ago was the answer to absolutely everything. We're far from done, but it's still going on and there's lots to be done, whether it's digitization or digitalization. It seemed somewhere in the middle between last five years and now blockchain was kind of a buzzword that everyone had to talk about and I've tried to avoid it as much as possible. More often than not, the last 12 to 18 months, AI. And when I say AI, I like to go back to actual intelligence, not artificial intelligence. Again, I'm sure you're the same, Denise. We'll go to a meeting. Someone will come up with the idea that AI is the answer, but give you absolutely no more detail other than saying AI is the answer. And it drives potty. So what I've tried to do is take the insurance value chain from first notification of loss through payment or whatever else on the claim side and breaking down AI to four or five different categories, whether it's uh, machine learning, natural language, visual Uh, and so many others, and then tell you what technologies are relevant for each part of that value chain. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. AI is the answer to everything. You're no further forward actually knowing what technologies or what things you could use to solve what particular problems. Now, again, it's evolving at a a great pace, but I think we should be really clear about what we mean rather than going to buzzword bingo quite quickly. I know it's a tough thing to say as a a consultant, but let's just be honest with each other. When we say uh, AI, what do we actually mean and where is it going to apply in our business? 
I agree. And I think that to your first point around that whole speed to market around new products, I think that's really going to be a crucial kind of area. And I think a real differentiator of how quickly can you adapt and create new products and get them to market rather than the multi-year, multi-million dollars that we typically had in trying to implement those products. Testing that, particularly with the demographic shifts that we're seeing, you know, between the millennials and the Gen Z now going to be overtaking um, all those customers that we have traditionally been serving on the Gen X and the boomers, they're still to be served, but that whole different ex- series of expectations of the types of products that they want um, and getting those out to market rather rapidly in a cost-effective way, I think at the end of the day is really, really crucial. It's funny you bring up blockchain because it has been a block, it has been a buzzword, hasn't it, the last few years? And companies have really struggled and the industry's really struggled to figure out where can it really be applied really, really effectively. Obviously, reinsurance has been one of those areas of of some focus, but that's the challenge that we have is everybody gets excited about buzzwords, but then it comes down to the practicality of what is it really going to do to improve the business um, and drive that growth that we all need, profitable growth at that. It's back to execution. These are all good things, but show me it in real life. I mean, there's some really good examples yep. out there of smart contracts in play, but I have a phrase I use consistently, which is just because we can, doesn't mean say we should. So until someone talks about blockchain and travel insurance and, and smart contracts, yeah, it's a great idea. We love the idea, but then go and look at someone like a Berkshire Hathaway who've done the same thing using a Salesforce platform in the same way. A lot of different ways you can, uh, you can attack it. Um, very uh, effectively. You know, as we kind of think about everything that's been happening, where do you kind of see the next, uh, you know, two to three years? Where do you, where do you see the industry and what exciting things do you kind of see out there on the horizon, Nigel? I guess a couple of angles. I suspect the industry is going to continue to consolidate. There's going to be more acquisitions. So some of these cool new techs that we've seen out there in startups, I suspect will get acquired um, by a carrier or a broker as we started to see or join forces with other people that will make up a better uh, piece of the puzzle if they come together. Um, so I see that as one thing. The other thing I think is interesting is we'll see, we'll start to see people outside of insurance get to insurance. This goes back to my value added services comment. You know, I always talk about yep. when is insurance not insurance? Well, when it's embedded and invisible into things that we love. And yes, I appreciate this is a really difficult conversation and, Many carriers, especially if you spend billions on marketing uh, each year, <laughs> it's a difficult conversation to have. But you know what? I speak to more auto manufacturers and retailers sometimes than I do uh, insurers in a week. And that, for me, is a very telling sign to say, how do we make yep. this all part, of our sto- all part of our story? I couldn't agree with you more. I think that insurance embedded into other transactions or other business things that we do is definitely going to be the, the way for the future because insurance isn't something that people automatically think about. And it, it really uh, provides real growth opportunity for those insurers that can establish those relationships and those partnerships. It's, a, it's an amazing opportunity ahead. Yeah. So, and look, um, it's, it's, not, it's not that the technology is down to the brave and bold. And that's the men and women in the organizations that are about to to go and have a bet, right? Our challenge in all these things is that typically we're measured quarter on quarter. And as a result of that, we have short-term objectives that define and dictate the route that we take. It's vision and leadership. And back to your point, it's about the people and culture. What advice would you give to insurers as they start this new decade, Nigel? Be brave, be wonderful, be inspiring. Honestly, I know it sounds lofty and whatever else. 
but we have to start taking ourselves away from let's launch the next product that's the same as the last product but slightly different start it's age-old cliche start with our customers and work our way back because it no customer really wakes up and go i want to buy motor home pet whatever else they may have a need to do it but build it into a service that makes a difference to people's lives and for me it's the, it's the folks that are taking those steps today that i'm super excited by yeah i couldn't agree with you more so last question if you could pick one word or phrase to describe the future of insurance what would that be and why super sexy <laughs> i love it why not right so someone so you know i host the uh insure tech insiders podcast with the 11 fs guys and sarah yep. sarah kachansky wrote in forbes a while back when people so how do we start so look, i'm saying it for a reason specifically it's super sexy because how do we attract the best data scientists the best data programmers the best technologists the best business visionaries to insurance well the answer is how many other industries have self-driving cars and drones answer none this world does not move without insurance. We just need a different narrative to help people get to the industry in the first place, then start exploring different things going forward. So I think we need to make sure people can see the exciting, super sexy side of insurance um, that includes all these cool new things that allows the world to move forward. Without that, we grind to a halt. We don't get into a lift. We don't get into a car. We don't get into a train. We don't come to our office buildings. We are genuinely the oil that's, that that feeds the rest of society and people need to start seeing where that happens. For me, that's insurance. Love it. I love it, Nigel. If we can make a insurance super sexy, that'll be a, a great accomplishment for the industry. Well, thank you once again, Nigel, for your time today and your insights. Really appreciate it. Look forward to us seeing each other at one of the uh, InsureTech events in the, in the near future. I know definitely at InsureTech Connect this fall, but um, uh, hopefully someplace else too. Yeah. Uh, indeed. Look, look forward. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an exciting talk. Okay, thanks, Nigel.